This is the Monroeville Christian Church podcast, where you can find sermons, Bible studies, and other biblical content produced by Monroeville Christian Church. My name is Covey Wise. I'm one of the preachers at Monroeville Christian Church. We're committed to teaching, training, and transforming lives for Christ, and we invite you to grow with us. Good morning. It's great to see you here. Um, I uh, count it as a huge blessing, a huge uh, opportunity that I really don't take lightly to be standing up here um, to preach the word. Um, I'm a little extra nervous today, uh, just uh, with the, with what we're talking about in Jude, uh, because judgment is going to be a huge part in this message, and. When I stand up here, it's, it's nerve-wracking in that I'm handling the Word of God, and I'm presenting the Word of God to you, and if I misuse the Word of God, I incur a judgment on myself. It's very serious. It's a great responsibility you take on yourself to stand up here and preach the Word, because what God wrote in here is what we're supposed to get out of it, and He had a certain intent in things that were written in here. And if we change that, we bring judgment on ourselves and we water down the faith that was once and for all entrusted to you and I. So a few weeks ago, uh, two sermons ago for me, I preached from Jude. Uh, I preached on the first four verses of the book. And that kind of laid the foundation for the book. It's very short, uh, 25 verses, one chapter. And Jude had intent to write a book regarding our common salvation, which I think would have been a great book to have. Uh, we have Romans. Uh, that would, it would probably closely parallel Romans. Uh, and I would have liked to see Jude's perspective on that and see how we could compare that with Paul's. Because we know a lot of Romans is... Uh, a little bit difficult to understand, and that book gets uh, it's, it gets taken out of context a lot. So I would have loved to see Jude and what he would have had to say about our common salvation. But something had changed. I don't know how he found out about it, but he felt the urge and the need uh, through the the urging of the Holy Spirit to write something different. He wrote to the church, no specific church, uh, but the church as a whole, to. Remember to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, when we have to contend for something that's been already given to us, that means we, we can't change it. He's telling us people have come into the church, that somehow, in some way, they've been put into a role, position to teach. And they are taking the faith that was delivered to us, that was entrusted to us, and they are changing it. And they turned God's grace into a license to sin. So they took what God had given to us and they turned it in their favor to be able to kind of do what they want with it. So Jude writes this book and it's more of a urgent message. It's very short. He needed to get it out very quickly because whatever it was, uh, it needed to be addressed as soon as possible. Now, 
the main theme of the book as a whole is apostasy. That was, that was whenever you, he's telling them to contend for the faith, and they were departing from the faith, that means they were being um, apostates, apostate teacher. They were leaving what God had established, and he's warning them to come back. Now, this problem of apostasy, this is not a new thing for, for the Lord's people uh, throughout history. Uh, apostasy has always been uh, an issue, uh, departing from what God had established. So, and that's what we're going to see today, because Jude's going to point to history and bring back memories that these people knew probably from their childhood. Things that they once knew, but they have forgotten. They've forgotten some of the implications uh, that, are, that are supposed to come out of those accounts in the Old Testament. And this is just going to show us that history is a great teacher if we would just learn from it. And I think we're dealing with those kind of things today, aren't we? We learn history. We look at how things happened in history. Whenever this happened, here was the result every single time. But we keep on repeating it, expecting a different result. So we call insanity, right? So let's learn from history, like Jude tells them to do. And let's go back in our memories and see uh, what happened whenever people in the Old Testament were apostates. They, they apostatized from the faith. They left what God had established from them. So in uh, Jude verse 5, I'm going to read down through verse 7, and then we'll go back through and sort of tease these things out a bit. He says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities surrounding them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So let's take the first part of verse 5. It says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, when we're called to remember something, that means that something is something that we don't have to think very deeply about to, to kind of remember, right? These are, these are foundational teachings. These are things that, that you, you know, and they didn't, they didn't forget certain things, but they forgot the implications of them. It's like Jesus, was, he, he told us to remember him each Lord's Day when we take of the bread and the cup. He didn't tell us to, remem to do that to remember him with the concern that we were actually going to forget the fact that he died, was buried, and rose again. He gave us that commission, and he commanded that to make sure that we don't forget what that means for us and what was supposed to come from remembering the broken body and the shed blood. Whenever you are told to remember your vows in your marriage, you aren't called to remember every intricate detail of what you said and your marriage uh, vows word for word. You're called to remember the implications of that. And what, what is it that, that are, is wrapped up in things like in sickness and in health, or for rich or for poor? 
Those are the things that are readily available in our minds. We remember the commitment that we made. So it's not hard to, to think back about these certain memories. And here was one that uh, you may, some of you may, uh, <laughs> you may like, because this will probably relate to many of you. Think back whenever you were a kid, and you had these divinely appointed boundaries set by Dad that you were not to cross. But you felt like being a little mischievous with your friend, and you're going to cross that boundary because Dad's nowhere to be seen. And your friend says, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Remember the last time you did that, what happened? And your mind's eye goes back directly to this moment where you push that boundary, and then the master of switchery came out of thin air and dealt out his displeasure for your rebellion. And that memory is burned into your mind. I bet some of you right now are thinking about a time in your life when that happened, when Dad made sure that you stayed in line when you tried to step back or step out. So whenever these memories are burned into our minds, there's, there's a good reason for that, isn't there? We're supposed to learn lessons uh, from, from, those, from those punishments. And our memory of the past helps us make those necessary changes for the future. So we don't repeat what we did before or what happened before. So Jude calls them back to Sunday school. Okay? And anyone with basic Bible knowledge would recall some of these things that Jude talks about here in the next few verses. And they know and understand these things very well. Okay, but they just are forgetting the implications that are, the, that are in there. Peter does this also. In 2 Peter 3.1, he says, The purpose of his epistles was to stir up in their minds their remembrance. Okay, so he's not here to teach or to instruct any new truths that wouldn't, wouldn't already be readily known, but to call to memory, memory established truths and what we're supposed to do with them. So he's going to call three Old Testament examples to memory. And these memories and these uh, accounts are going to give insight to the natural result of apostate teaching and the end of the apostate teachers. Okay, so all three of these examples are to those who left the clear will of God. They stepped out of the divinely appointed boundaries that God had set and they have an, a, a, an obvious connection to what was going on in the church with these false teachers and, and these examples in terms of their actions and their ultimate destiny. Because verse 4 says they were marked out for this condemnation long beforehand. That is, they knew the results. They knew what they were getting themselves into when they did these things. And whenever they stepped out of this bound and started teaching this false doctrine, their condemnation is marked out. Because we can see what happened when it happened last time. Second part of verse 5, he says, That the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So I just want to take a little sidestep here. It's interesting that Lord is used here, isn't it? Because now the commentators are kind of divided on this. Um, but whenever we think Lord, what's the first person you think of? Jesus, right? Well, now, isn't, wasn't the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, wasn't that before Jesus? Isn't that what we think? Before the incarnation? So isn't that interesting that they use the Lord here? When that, we think that Jesus is limited to the incarnation, that, that limits Jesus himself. 
Because Jesus is God. He is timeless. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. John 1, 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus wasn't made in the beginning. Jesus was in the beginning. And he keeps all things in existence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus led the Israelites out of Egypt. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the Red Sea. They all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, all ate to drank the spiritual drink. They all drank that spiritual rock to follow them, and that rock was Christ, Jesus. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So why is Jude giving this illustration? Jude's giving this illustration to show that God will not forever tolerate continual murmuring against His dominion. Although you've been saved, if you're a Christian, you become a part of the Lord's church, that doesn't guarantee your salvation, because if you depart from the faith, you will not enter the promised salvation. So this is, this is a call back to when the Israelites, they had already come out of Egypt, God had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. They had been through so many things, and now they are at the threshold of the promised land. And they sent out how many spies? Twelve spies. Ten were bad and two were good, right? So they sent these spies into the land of Canaan to scout it out, see what's there. Is this a land filling with milk and honey? It certainly was. They all agreed. But some of them came back with a bad report, right? There was giants in the land. These men were mighty, were grasshoppers in their sight. We can't possibly take them on. But Joshua and Caleb, they, they realized and they remembered what God had brought them through up to this point. Israel had seen the ten plagues in Egypt. They had been delivered from the greatest world power at the time. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, and God delivered them from the Egyptians. If you saw the Red Sea or any body of water split and you walked through the middle of it, um, I think that would change you. They saw God make the bitter water sweet so that they could drink it. He provided water from a rock. They saw bread come from heaven. God provided the entire way through miraculously, beyond what they could even fathom. And now here they are at the threshold of the promised land. And they begin to doubt God. They start to turn their back on God, wishing they would have either died in this wilderness or died in Egypt, back in slavery. And they were ready to select for themselves a new leader to lead them back into bondage in Egypt. They said, let's enslave ourselves all over again. God has delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians. He has brought us through this 40 years of wandering miraculously, and now we want to go back. 
They received salvation through God's power. They saw His glory, but they turned their backs on Him. They left the faith. They separated themselves from His saving power, and they got what they were asking for, didn't they? God did scatter their carcasses in the wilderness. And not one of them who grumbled against God entered the promised land. Only the two faithful ones and the children of those who grumbled. Their apostasy brought them judgment and death. And if we depart from the faith, we receive the same judgment. Our deliverance in the past, just because you're a Christian, just because you've been through the waters of baptism, you've died with Christ in there, just because you did that, that does not guarantee your deliverance today if you have not remained faithful. The Israelites believed not the words of the Lord, and because of their unbelief, that which should have been known became the unknown to them. Once again, it wasn't that they forgot what God did, but they quit caring. They rejected the impact that it had on them. And when we depart from the faith, we can reject the implications of God's word and his warnings to the point where we no longer care, to the point where it no longer has effect on us, we're seared in our conscience, and to the point where we believe not. We don't have faith. We don't trust God's power. And with evidence of God's care, which was shown to them continually throughout this time, they still chose to disbelieve that he would continue. And they insulted God in doubting his word, and he destroyed them. Those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we've been delivered from bondage, haven't we? Even greater bondage than what the Israelites were in Egypt. We've been exposed to the saving work of Jesus. And knowing what we know, knowing what Jesus has done for us, knowing the price that he paid for our redemption, that demands a response. That demands active, obedient faith. The Israelites started, but they didn't finish. And if we learn anything from this example, I want you to learn this. God is just. He's no respecter of persons. And although the Israelites were his chosen people to bring the Messiah into the world, they did not remain faithful. And God dealt judgment out against them. Remember the Israelites. They came out, but they never went in. No matter who you are, God's judgment is the same if you abandon the faith. We don't have a special ticket to heaven. We have a race to win. Moving on to verse 6, we're talking about the angels who didn't keep their proper Abode. It says, And the angels who do not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So this might be one of the more interesting accounts here that he references uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, Jude's talking about these certain men who have crept in, they've perverted the truth. Uh, he talks about the Israelites, which we can accept. We, we know that, that story, we know that account. They didn't remain faithful to God, right? They lost their reward. And now he tosses in the angels. So what do we have in common with these angels? How, do we, how does this correlate to us? 
So there's two possible accounts that this is referring to. This could be referring to uh, before uh, creation when, when Satan and his followers departed from God, right? Satan fell and left his proper estate, right? Or this could be talking, which I think likely it is talking about Genesis 6, when it says the sons of God, which some believe were angels, which I believe they, they were, they cohabitated with daughters of men, they saw they were beautiful, and they intermingled with them. They, they, they committed sexual sin with these women, and they bore mighty men, evil men of renown, these men who were giants, who had a huge impact across the world. And the world became so corrupted through this to the point where every intent of the thoughts of man were only evil continually, which caused God to say, my spirit will not strive with man forever. And it led to his judgment through the flood. You know, I always think it's interesting when I think about the flood and, it's, and that judgment and how lightly it gets taken whenever you're growing up. It's just this fun story we read about. But I work at the gas company, and we're always digging in the ground. And it's funny, we always are talking about how the, the landscape underground constantly changes. You dig here on this side of the road, you're in clay. You dig on this side of the road, you're into shale. On this side of the road, you run into coal. And everybody's like, oh, isn't that funny how that's just like, it's all mixed in there. And I, and I constantly am reminded these are all flood deposits. You see the landscape across the world and all the mountains that are formed. And it's beautiful in a lot of ways, isn't it? But that's God's judgment. Think about God's judgment. You see seashells and rocks at the tops of mountains that had to get there somehow. Seashells don't just float to the tops of mountains. They had to be covered with water. Now, it's widely accepted in the scientific world that the earth was covered with water. But this was a flood of judgment that God put on the earth. And we still see deposits of that today. Now, um, this situation that Jude's referring to, it's, it's most likely that it is this, that one that I was just talking about. The angels committing this sexual sin with the daughters of men. Now, this isn't just a random example that Jude uses here. What Jude saw going on in the church, which led him to write this letter, was correlated with what the angels had done in some way. So we don't want to get lost in the details of this account because we could talk all day about how this applies and what happened exactly um, in that account. Um, in both instances, we know that the angels left their proper place in heaven and they came to earth where they weren't supposed to be and they rebelled against God. That's what we need to catch here. They crossed boundaries that were established by God in order to engage in sexual immorality. In verse 4, as it says, those who crept in unaware were teaching that God's grace gave them liberty to basically do whatever they want. And these angels are charged with abandoning what is right. Apostasy. So what Jude is stressing to his readers here is that when these angels left where they belonged and they rebelled against God, judgment ensued. They are now being kept by God in eternal bonds, under the darkness, awaiting their final judgment on the great day. Second Peter 2.4 says the same thing with these angels. It says, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but He cast them into hell, and He committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. If we abandon a faith, the result will be the exact same for us. 
So the, the, the implication that catches is that the angels are God's ministering spirits. Okay, they carry out work for God, ministering to the saints in various ways. And their starting point, or their proper domain, is in heaven with God. Okay, they are in favored positions in the heavenly realm. So if God didn't hold back carrying out judgment on His children, the Israelites, who were His chosen people when they rebelled, He didn't hold back judgment against the angels, who were His chosen servants when they rebelled, then why would we think that we're going to get away with our rebellion? Who are we? That's the point Jude's making here. Look at the past. See how it worked out for them. When they did the same things you're doing, it'll be no different for you. So he's warning them. He says, I call to remember what they once knew. And these examples aren't in Scripture just for our enjoyment and reading. These are in Scripture for our own good so that we don't learn the hard way. You know, it's been said experiences a great teacher, but it's not the best teacher. Because tuition sometimes is too high. The best teacher is learning what happened to someone else in a particular situation and learning from it. Because they pay the price, but you get the lesson. So let's open our eyes to what happened to others and let's not repeat their error because we don't have to. We don't have to find out the hard way. God has laid everything clear, clear and bare right before us in His Word that we can take and learn. Let's just take His Word for it. Verse 7, it says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so... We have three examples here laid out of apostasy from the Old Testament. Now, are there more than three situations throughout all the history of Israel and the Old Testament? Is there more than three examples of apostasy? There's tons of examples of apostasy. So what we have to ask here is, of all the situations where apostasy is seen in the Old Testament, why does Jude use these three examples? They almost, if you, if you just take them at face value, they kind of seem random in a way. As we've stated already, false teaching was secretly introduced here, and the faith once for all entrusted them was being infiltrated and altered from what it was supposed to be. We might call that liberalism today. This example of apostasy is chosen here to point out the sensual nature of the false teaching and a certain destruction to follow. So when you change God's grace into a license to sin, and you're led to believe that you could live however you wanted because God's grace gets you off the hook, some, uh, this, this, that would lead you to wherever your passions, wherever your desires lead you to go. Some commentators believe this is some early forms of Gnostic teaching, which would follow. Uh, it says that Gnostic teaching is basically says it doesn't matter what you do with your life because the flesh is sinful anyway. So whatever you do, you're, you're sinful anyway. You can't help it. So if you follow that ideology to its logical conclusion, the outcome is always going to be exactly what Sodom and Gomorrah dealt with. Because with no fear of judgment in teaching, 
the, open, the door opens to a whole new way of life. It's altered by how you feel and how you want to live. It's everybody's word against themselves. So does that, does that sound familiar? Are we seeing a little bit of that today? If you look through history, it doesn't take you long to realize that the natural progression of man, when we push God out of our society, is a direct path towards a widely accepted sexual immorality, widely accepted, accepted homosexuality, widely accepted lawlessness, hatred towards authority, which we're going to get into in my next sermon whenever I preach from the next verses. And these are where people turn when the law becomes whatever feels good at the time. When we are led by our passions, no matter what happens, we drive ourselves into the ground to fulfill our lust and our desires. It doesn't matter what repercussions come out of it when we, when we take God out of the picture. Because all we're doing is we're reaching and grasping for straws that the next thing is going to give us fulfillment. Whenever you consider whenever the angels came into Sodom to take Lot and his family out of the city, the angels came to his house and the men of the city surrounded his house. And they were telling Lot, bring these men out to us that we might know them carnally. Now I'm not going to go into detail what that means, but I think we understand. These men... They wanted to commit sexual acts with these men who came to Lot's house, even the children. And these angels pulled Lot back inside, and he struck these people blind. And these people were so debased in their minds, and they were so sick to try to get to fulfill these lusts and passions and desires that they worried themselves to exhaustion trying to find the door whenever they had been miraculously struck blind for what they were trying to do. And that should tell us something. The fact that this example is given by Jude to the church, who is taking God's grace and using it as a license to sin, that should, that should really wake us up. Because when men pervert the truth, and whenever men preach and teach rotten doctrine, according to their own desires, those who are led away by the teaching become rotten. You reap what you sow. The possible result of false teaching, as we see it here, should absolutely horrify every Christian, knowing what can come whenever we misuse God's word. And that's why I, when I started out at the beginning here, when I stand up here and, and teach, I'm subjecting myself to a stricter judgment. Because the importance of Sound and healthy doctrine is nothing to be taken lightly. Bad teaching always results in bad living. And if we give way to man-made teaching, souls go to hell. We have to be so concerned with sound teaching that nothing else will stop us from holding to the word. Because every time men have gotten away from God's word, every new denomination that gets created... There's more souls hearing rotten teaching. There's more souls on a highway to hell. We have to stick in God's word. Judgment is eminent if we don't. <clears throat> so maybe you're sitting here today and you realize that you've forgotten what God's done for you. You've become like the Israelites. 
You have salvation at your fingertips, but you desire to go back. You keep on looking back to go back to bondage, forgetting what lies ahead. Maybe you're like the angels who desired to cross divinely appointed boundaries, leaving your rightful place in God's kingdom, and you've forgotten that even if you are in some high-up position, no matter what your status is, God is no respecter of persons. Leaving His kingdom means certain judgment. Or maybe you're like the people of Sodom. You've been led to think that God won't hold you accountable for living in sin, and His grace gives you free reign to live however you'd like. I want to warn you. I want to encourage you. Consider what Jude says. Remember the consequences of those who thought the same things, but they were deceived, and they will and are now paying an eternal price of damnation for their rebellion against God. So those of you who are in Christ today, remember, God doesn't take the sacrifice of Jesus lightly, and if we take it lightly, our punishment will be heavy. We're set free from the bondages of sin, of our own desires. And we are able now to live eternally. So don't look back. There's nothing back there worth going to hell for. So as the men come forward, I want to speak to those of you who are not in Christ today. That is, those of you who are not so sure if you died today, where your eternal home would be. I'm talking to you. Salvation is available in Jesus. I want you to know that. You don't have to stay in that world of judgment and of unsurety. God wants you to know. 1 John 5.13 says, I wrote these things to you, to those who believe that you may know you have eternal life. If you're willing to believe, if you believe and you are willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, just like Peter did in Matthew 16, and you're willing to do what Acts 2.38 says and repent, that is, leave your old life of sin. Leave that behind. Choose to follow God in His Word instead and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and to receive that indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, that seal and that mark on you so that God knows whose you are. Today is that day. Make it happen. And if you don't make that decision today, even if you go to sleep tonight and middle of the night, both sides of the pillow are hot, you can't sleep, you got to get saved, you're fearing judgment, make the call. Anybody in here that you know would be willing to lose a lot of sleep to see you guaranteed to go to heaven. So don't wait any longer. It's not worth it. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that we have this book. All the 66 books, Lord, we're thankful for them. Uh, but today, in specific, we're talking about Jude. Lord, it's a short book. But it is so urgent. It's so important. And it really, really uh, resonates with our world today in many ways. The tone of this book is not easy to digest. We don't like judgment. But nonetheless, Lord, this is what you had to say to us. And we want to follow 
what you have to say, not what we think. So help us, Lord, to get rid of our pride. Help us, Lord, to follow you where you want us to go. And help us to learn from the past, because that's what it's there for, so that we don't make those same mistakes, and so that we can hold on to that salvation that Satan wants to try to take away from us. We pray this in Jesus' name.